Hello, everyone, and welcome to the GD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with GD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Jenny Corwin, who's our lead analyst for travel. So, Mike and Jenny, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hey, Mike, let's let's start off with the airlines uh, uh, for today's podcast. Uh, Southwest has been in the news for a lot of reasons uh, over the past couple of weeks. And uh, I think one of the questions is whether or not Southwest is still the low-cost uh, airline. So, so um, what are we hearing? Well, we do ask uh, what people pay for tickets um, on Southwest and every airline that we cover in the North American Airlines study. And we've noticed the, the same thing that the, uh, the Fed, uh, uh, Federal Trade Commission has noticed over the last few years is that uh, as far as fares go, there really isn't much difference among the majors, including Southwest, these days. Uh, what was uh, giving them the ability to command that low price category was the fact, as we talked about with Herb Kelleher passing a few weeks ago, uh, was an emphasis on, on efficient operations, making sure that aircraft turns really quickly, um, you know, having the flight crew start the clean, cleaning the aircraft uh, while people are di disembarking from the aircraft, things like that, uh, allowed them to keep costs low and then pass those savings on to consumers. Well, now they've gotten so big. You know, they're a little bit of a victim of their own success, and that is those costings are harder and harder to get out of the system, especially when those routes are reaching very far um, and your uh, uh, dispersal of aircraft is much larger than it used to be. So even though they, they still have they, – even though the fare is about the same as some of the other majors, they still, in our data, in our J.D. Power North American Airlines study, still command a, a kind of a, a – a, a they have a halo effect of having a low – price ticket for a couple different reasons. One is they don't charge you for bags, and we've talked about on previous podcasts um, how the airlines are making money on bag fees, and they also don't change you, charge you to change a ticket, uh, which is highly unusual in the industry today. And that those two things create a sense of fairness that they really do care about what the passenger is paying and doesn't have to pay for, and still gives them that aura of being a low-cost airline. Yeah, interesting. I, I know that I've taken advantage of that uh, no um, no change fee uh, option a couple of times, and it really does uh, help. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that one. Jenny, moving to hospitality, uh, Marriott is in the news with uh, the launch of their Bonvoy program to replace the uh, existing loyalty program. So, uh, so how how how's that working, and 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 what are we hearing? Yeah, so I, I think we're getting some mixed reviews. Uh, I think the big positive, right, is now we have one program where there used to be three. So this is actually the new program that encompasses Marriott Rewards, uh, Starwood Preferred Guest, as well as Ritz-Carlton Rewards. So I think um, for those Marriott, Starwood, Ritz-Carlton loyalists, it's going to be nice to be able to have one system that actually, you know, we had conversion charts in the past, but this is, you know, we're all speaking the same language now. So that's really nice. Um, in terms of the actual program itself, not a whole lot of differences. I mean, there are some winners, some losers, some, some minor things. Uh, uh, the, the road warriors are really going to come out uh, on top, I think. They're not going to you know, get penalized in any way. Some of those less frequent stayers, there's no penalties per se, but uh, you know, some of those benefits they may have enjoyed in the past, it's now becoming more of an either-or. Like you used to get a free breakfast if you stayed between you know, 20 to 40 nights a year, I believe, and a, and a welcome amenity. Now it's one or the other. So it, minor changes in the actual plan itself, but I think overall the, the – 
the fact that you'll have one program that works seamlessly uh, across all of the brands is going to benefit their guests as well as um, as well as Marriott overall. Right? Okay, thanks, Jenny. Mike, moving to airport. Uh, recently, uh, we saw some news about British Airways and American spending something like three hundred and forty million dollars at JFK. So, so what's the plan there? What, what what's the uh, what's the investment for? What should we uh, what should travelers expect to see uh, from that investment? Well, JFK and the, the, all the Port Authority at New York, New Jersey airports uh, are relative, relatively unique in that they're what we call a unit terminal uh, operation, which is that they have a tenant. They own the land, but the building is sometimes built and most often, or almost always off, always uh, paid for by the airline that's the tenant of the building itself. So this gives the airlines a lot of control over those unit terminals. And also, in this case, British Airways and American Airlines got together and said, okay, we're willing to invest, I think the figure is actually $344 million, to build new terminals and combined terminals uh, out there. So uh, currently, British Airways is operating out of the old Terminal 7, which, which is just a terrible two-sided design. Uh, they're going to, I believe, completely tear that down. They're going to combine Terminals 1 and 2. And um, they're going to have a brand new, basically brand new terminal out there uh, to operate out of, which will be a big boon to all JFK. Those buildings right now are nearing 60, 70 years old. So, but on the one hand, that's great. If you're the uh, you know airport authority, you don't actually have to pay for the, this building. You're getting the airlines to make the investment. But on the other hand, you do give up a little bit of control. And so that's the, um, you know, the push and pull of that kind of arrangement. You do get something for free, but you're allowing the airlines to call some of the shots at JFK Airport. And, Mike, are we, are we seeing something uh, similar in Boston just in terms of connecting the terminals? And, and, and what's the idea behind that? Sure, and that's exactly right. We, uh, Boston's major plan is to connect all of their separate terminals so that you can just go through security once and walk the entire airport. And what that does is two things. It makes you allows you to park anywhere you want, and parking spaces are at a premium at Boston. There's a lot, plenty of land space out at JFK, but there's not very much at Boston. And so it allows you to park wherever you want, and then go, uh, you know, to any terminal that you care to. And then also, in, once you get there, if you've got the time, uh, you can wander over to the next terminal if you happen to like that restaurant there, or there's a particular shop that you can shop at. So we see those kinds of things uh, in, this, in the data that we do on our North American airport study, that when the airport undertakes those projects, that really there's a little bit of a boost of customer satisfaction because it gives people a choice on how to access the airport and what to do once they get there. Okay, thanks. Uh, moving on to rental car, uh, Hertz was recently in the news for um, uh, a settlement with the city of San Francisco around charging what they call surprise fees. We're crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. So, yeah, so what, this has, what's, kind of the, what's kind of the story behind that? And, and um, is that something that we see across the other rental car companies? And, and how does that affect um, customer satisfaction? Well, in the years, that, 20 or so years that we've been doing the rental car study at J.D. Power, it, when those fees, those local fees first popped up, they were generally associated, associated with the consolidated rental car facility. That's where you get on a common bus and go off and get dropped off at a facility, then you walk to wherever your car is or walk to whatever your rental car counter is. They're all under one roof. Um, so what, where the rub started was the, of course, the 
that was a, a, a fee. There was usually about $15 fee associated with that every time you rented a car. And that fee went to the airport. It didn't go to the air. It didn't go to the rental car company. And the rental car companies uh, at first never listed those fees when you uh, reserved your car. And then all of a sudden you looked at your bill and you got a surprise. Um, wow, I had to pay $15. You didn't tell me about that. Um, same thing here. Uh, what Hertz was doing was uh, having a third party that would manage the tolls as people go through those cashless toll stations that we see across the United States now. And uh, this uh, toll collection system uh, was part of the vehicle itself. And there was a premium to pay for that service from Hertz. So Hertz in turn passed that cost along to um, their renters and didn't happen to tell them exactly how it worked. And to make it a little bit worse, um, if you went across the Golden Gate Bridge once in your, let's say you rented the car for four days, if you went across that Golden Gate Bridge once, you got charged that fee. And if you never went across the bridge again, you still got charged every day that you rented the car. So it really added up in the end. It would be, you know, if on a four-day rental, it would be 60 to $80 more than you thought you were paying, which is probably about the cost of one day's worth of rental. So uh, Hertz learned a little bit of a lesson that, you know, you got to be up front and be very transparent about these things because no one likes to get a surprise on the bill, and it's, it's one of those high dissatisfying experiences, as you might expect when you're renting a car. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny, last topic on digital. Uh, recent story in TechCrunch about some uh, apps, including some travel apps, uh, recording keystrokes without actually notifying uh, the app users. So here's the question. Uh, does it really matter to the users if uh, the app is recording your keystrokes, especially if the reason behind it is that they're looking to improve navigation. So, so does, does, it, does, does the privacy actually matter to app users? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of a distinction amongst most users between privacy and security. Um, I, there's also the issue of informed consent here, right? Like, just, it, I probably wouldn't mind so much as long as you asked first, uh, especially if it's enhancing my experience. Now, some people don't want to be bothered with a pop-up that asks them. But um, in general, I think it'd be less of an issue if they just collected consent first. Um, but the, in terms of privacy versus security, um, it, most users we're finding don't mind providing a level of information as long as it does enhance their experience and as long as they know how it's being used. Um, now, security deals more with, you know, the, the breaches and uh, availability of my personal information outside of this app. And, and those are the things that really cause trust issues with a brand if, if something happens in the security front. Um, I, I think privacy is a little bit more up to the user discretion, though, and I, we, we generally find um, you know, pretty tech-savvy users, younger generation users, have, have less concerns about both security and privacy with apps, and, and they freely give a lot of information anyways um, to apps um, in order to enhance their experience with both the app but also with their travel. So um, I, I think it's, it's something to be cautious with, but at the same time, as, as long as it's um, you know, slightly altruistic, right, it's going to be uh, enhancing my experience in some way. Most users are not uh, opposed to sharing that information. Well, Mike and Jenny, thanks for joining us today. You're quite welcome. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners for joining as well. To learn more about the J.D. Power travel practice, please visit us on the web at jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time.